Good morning. We are so thrilled that you have decided to spend your Sabbath morning with us as we delve into Scripture. Today we start a new trimester, and you know what that means. That means a new series of lessons. And while last week and last month and last trimester we focused on something that was very tied to a book in Scripture, today we begin to experience something a bit different. The title for this lesson is The Crucible of the Shepherd. And we're going to be talking about Jesus' shepherding over His church. But before we do that, can I invite you to pray? God, we just want to thank you for being our shepherd. We want to thank you for loving us in a way that surpasses all understanding. And we would just pray that as we converse, as we think about the lives that you have called us to live, that you continue speaking into our lives. For we pray all these things in your name. Amen. So with me is my co-host and my friend and my colleague, and I'm so happy to have him back. Joey, how are you? Welcome back. Thank you. It's good to be back. Um, I actually thought it was going to be a lot hotter where I was going, but it ended up being cooler than Loma Linda. You guys had some record heat here while I was gone, right? You know what? You escaped it. It was it was a very, very hot week. Thankfully, now in this coming week, uh, the temperatures are dipping a bit, so we'll be uh, in a balmy 90-degree weather, which is great for Southern California. But again, we're just so happy to have you back. Uh, we really miss you when you're not here although I must say Jesse did a great job mm. filling in last week yeah I got to catch a little bit of what Jesse did um, just incredible insights that he shared and um, we'll have to have him back in the future I promised uh, to have him back it's just I, I and I know you and I share this when when I look at this new generation of pastors mm. that are coming up my heart just swells and i am completely certain that the future of the church and actually the present of the church is in good hands because we have some ministers that are compassionate mm -hmm. thought-provoking insightful but above all they are driven by this desire to live christ out in their spheres of influence yeah it's really incredible the future is very bright for for where god is leading our church so I'm excited to see what, what's in store next for us. Even as I say that, though, I don't know if this has begun to happen to you, but I'm starting to feel old. I look <laughs> around the table and I see all these new younger pastors and these new younger faces. I mean, take, for instance, our media department. When I started here, I was one of the fresh faces. And now I look at the people behind the cameras and they're getting younger and younger and younger uh, today. We have, and we seldom do this, Joey, but I'm just shocked at how young he is. We have a new director. He's going to be interning with us for the summer. And his name, he's got a great biblical name, mm. Ezekiel. So Ezekiel. He's, he's already one of mine because you know I love my prophetic <laughs> names. Yes, he's, he, uh, hopefully he will speak a lot of truth into, into these sessions that we're having. No, it's... It's, I, I don't know how, when that transition happened, when we, we stopped being the young guys and then transitioned to the old guys, <laughs> but I don't know whether the faces are getting younger or we're just getting older and they're staying the same. <laughs> this is true. The problem though is that I, f I still feel young mm. and so I try to do things yeah. that I used to do when I was younger and then I paid dearly for it uh, in the following days. I was doing a, a little bit of horseplay with some of our some of our maintenance crew. Mm. We have some new friends on that crew as well. And I am still to this day, although that happened on Friday last week, I am still sore. So 
<laughs> you know, I, I remember that when I first started ministry, I kept thinking of myself as a college student. I could do that for a number of years. But now when I look at the college students, I'm like, there is no, they are just completely in a different stage of life. They're in a completely different phase of their, their journey than I am. Yeah. I am not a college student anymore. <laughs> yeah, no, this is, this is true. And you know what, what does, I think, give me some pause and maybe some hope for the for the future is that there's still ways to connect with them like i know and i remember being a youth pastor my biggest fear was how am i going to be relevant mm -hmm. how am i going to connect and the age gap wasn't that big as as you're mentioning and that fear i think has only increased yeah. as i've gotten older but i realize that we both regardless of what generation you're in regardless if you're a late millennial or, or a Gen Xer like we are, or you're Generation Z or you're a boomer, we all kind of respond to the, to the same things, mm -hmm. to this desire for authenticity, for openness, this idea that ministry leaders and spiritual leaders are called to be shepherds, yeah. not celebrities. That's really refreshing because I think that is the one thread that kind of connects us mm -hmm. regardless of what generation we're inhabiting. And, and suffering is a part of all of mm -hmm. our experiences, right? Re regardless of what age, what generation we're in, we suffer. That's the reality of, of life here on earth. So how do we deal with that? And how does that, what does that, what does God's presence in our lives mean mm. to that suffering that mm. we experience? Mm. That's, that's well said. And I think that's where, uh, regardless of our age, those of us who claim Jesus mm. have this responsibility on our shoulders. And that responsibility is to recognize suffer, to empathize with those who are suffering, and then to find ways, meaningful ways, in which to alleviate suffering, mm. which leads me to think about the role of a pastor. So I know, Joey, you keep up with leadership literature much more than I do. But at the beginning of the millennium, there was kind of this shift mm. uh, with the emergence of these multi-site large churches. And we've talked about this phenomenon before, how people started to look for certain qualities in a leadership, mm. somebody that had expertise in various areas and so the idea was hey get your theology degree this was happening still when i was an undergrad get your theology degree and then pair it with business yeah. um and not only that but skills in marketing and skills in public communications and all these things that we thought we needed mm. to be good pastors and i think we need those things to be a good spiritual leader don't get me wrong i think you need strong administrative skills i think you need preparation i think you need to understand how marketing and communication move in a digital world. But I don't know if you've seen the push of these particular things that we are pursuing for the perfect pastor mm -hmm. at the expense of this idea of the pastor as a shepherd. Yeah. And that's what the word itself means. It means uh, the word pastor means shepherd. Mm -hmm. And so... I think that's been lost, that component of caring for sheep and shepherding mm -hmm. the sheep. We don't talk about that as much as we ought to. And I find that in an era that is characterized still by the celebrity pastor, mm -hmm. what we need in ministry is less celebrities and more shepherds. Oh, that's so well said. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, there was really this advent of the CEO pastor, mm -hmm. the celebrity pastor, the pastor of the mega church who was very much disconnected from the congregation's everyday lives. Of course, as a pastor, there needs to be some kind of connection, but um, just for the sheer volume of members and um, just the ability to minister to them, there was an, a gap, a distance. And it almost was an unsaid goal of pastors to try to achieve that like mm -hmm. like as if that model was the best ideal model for a pastor but what was lost often there was this idea of what you were talking about the shepherd 
the pastor as a shepherd, the pastor who is deeply involved in the, the lives of their members that are guiding them through difficult situations that are speaking um, into um, those challenging situations and being the presence of God in their lives mm. during those challenging mm. times. And, um, and yet, if COVID has taught us anything, is that those personal contacts are so, so important. Mm -hmm. um, being forced to be at, at a distance from people in order to keep them physically safe has just highlighted how much we need to be present in each other's mm -hmm. lives. That's absolutely true. And you know what is funny is that for introverts like us, the idea of COVID was rather enticing when you thought about it. You mean I, I get to speak and do my work from an office where I'm surrounded by my books and I connect via technology. And while definitely there is this need to leverage the tools that we have, particularly in the year in in the arena of communication, there is that which you are saying that is being lost, that personal mm -hmm. interaction and connection, which is why Loma Linda University Church believes that we are a resource for other churches. If you're watching somewhere in America or even around the world and you don't have a church, we're so happy that you are part of your church. But we also believe that the hope of the world is the local church. And so find a church where you find a community, find someone with whom you can connect. Because as you're saying, those connections are nurturing to our soul and they keep us honest. They keep mm. us vulnerable. They keep us accountable. One of the things that struck me as you were describing this idea of the pastor as CEO is how little accountability there is mm. when there's a chasm between those who you are called to minister to mm. and, and yourself as a as a spiritual guide. When you have that chasm, there's really no space for accountability. And the act of actually speaking into people's lives, as you were mentioning, forces us to be accountable mm -hmm. to one another. And it, it shouldn't surprise us that that is at the heart of this call in the New Testament, right? To confess one's sins mm -hmm. to one another. This It, it doesn't make an exclusion mm -hmm for the pastor or the elder or the deacon, this idea of being mutually accountable mm -hmm. and mutually vulnerable with one another. And what's so powerful to me is God's willingness to engage in that mm -hmm. too, that God is our shepherd. And, you know, some people have pointed out that shep the, the metaphor of shepherd was like a royal metaphor, right? Especially in the ancient Near East, right. there's idea that of, the, uh, of royalty being a shepherd. So people are saying that, well, maybe this is an imagery of God saying that he is God and he is king. And yet whenever, and I love this about the lesson, that it gave examples of different passages in the Old Testament and the New mm -hmm. Testament where this imagery of shepherding is applied to God. Whenever that imagery is used, it's not of someone with authority and power that is lording over people, but it's really this image of gentle provider, mm -hmm. protector, caring for the sheep, knowing the sheep by name. Like this intimacy is very much present. And this is God, mm -hmm. right? This is God who is the, the God of the entire universe. And he is, he is interacting with us in such an intimate way to the point where he comes down as a babe. Mm -hmm. We've talked about mm -hmm. the incarnation before. And he lives among 12 of his disciples. I mean, other disciples as well, but 12 intimate disciples that he invests into their lives, breathes into their lives, and then sends them out to do the same. Mm -hmm. And this is God's model, not of this conquering king that everybody was expecting, not of this celebrity uh, ruler, but someone who is intimately involved in the day-to-day -day lives of his people, and he disciples them directly. Mm -hmm. And that is the model that he passes on to his people. I love what you're saying. And by the way, we're going to get into Psalm 23, which is kind of the founding and grounding text for us today. But I love what you said about Jesus. Mm -hmm. Because it is this uh, this imagery, right, of gentle provider, of protector. But in order to be this gentle provider, this shepherd, a lot of patience is required. Yeah. This is why the imagery works and the analogy works so well. 
I don't know if you've ever seen a sheep, but sheep are not the brightest of animals. Um, they will gorge themselves to death. They will literally walk off a cliff if you don't stop them. Um, I remember doing some work uh, with Adra in uh, South America, and we're going through one of these two-lane highways, and there's a sheep just laying in the middle of the highway, and we're coming on in one of these Adra trucks that are a bit higher off the ground. And as we're rolling towards the sheep, I'm, I'm asking myself, is she going to move? <laughs> well, the sheep doesn't move, and the driver knows well enough not to alter course because we could have had an accident, and so we just drive over the sheep. And for a moment, I feel this recoil of just sadness because we've just run over this animal but i turn and i see and the sheep is still there just sitting we had passed over her without running wow. her over and she was not moved not phased didn't realize how close she came to death she was still sitting in the same place in this perilous position and i think about us mm. as life kind of rolls speeding down the highway towards us and is threatening to just run us over and we just put ourselves in these perilous positions mm. and we don't move yeah. and it's it's the shepherd that then has to gently prod us and say okay you need to move now and so i think that's another great lesson that i that i take from the way Jesus provides mm. for us, from the way Jesus lives and shepherds these 12 men that are his inner circle. Mm. There's a lot of patience that Jesus must exercise during those three and a half years that he walks with them. Wow. And it's not the most flattering image of us, right? As she, is it? <laughs> we who are like sheep have gone astray, right? Each to his own way. Yes. Like it's not the most yes. flattering image that, that God is using. Wow. And yet, yes, I mean, we see that present in the very first passage, first part of this passage where um, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He restores my soul. This God as the provider for his sheep. And um, I was looking at this, this word um, that was translated, makes me lie down. And um, a lot of scholars have noted how it's such an awkward construction mm -hmm. because it's in that hyphil mm -hmm. cause. It's the causative state, right? So is it that God is forcing his sheep to sit down? And really the sense of the passage is supposed to be that God is very actively involved in making good happen for the mm -hmm. sheep. It's not easy to communicate that in the English language, but it's the idea that, he, no, it's not God like forcing, you must sit down, but it's more that God is so involved in creating a context that is healthy and that is is one that the sheep can thrive in. And it seems like you're talking about, we need that because if God didn't do that for us, we would often put ourselves in harm's way. And Joey, that's the power of the hiffle, as you're mentioning. And it's the power of causation because the psalm opens with this statement of faith that is unlike anything else that is in Israel's songbook. The Lord is my shepherd. And uh, some versions say, I shall not want, if you're reading the old King James, uh, the NIV says, I lack nothing. Mm. And at the beginning, at the outset, that seems to be a, con there seems to be a contradiction mm. or a conflict there because I've accepted J Jesus's Lordship over my life. I've accepted him as my shepherd, but there's still a lot of things that I want that mm. I do not have. And yeah. so, just thinking about this idea of not wanting or lacking nothing uh, doesn't quite make sense until you are introduced with, to this causative language where God is as he's actually crafting this environment around mm -hmm. you that is intended to do one thing and one thing only, and that is restore, refresh, give new life and new breath to your soul. And so the question then that you don't that you need to answer is not how do I get things, but rather how do I better test 
testify to the presence of God in my life because mm. it is that presence that will restore my soul. Oh, wow. So his goal is not so much making up for all of our material needs, but but ultimately for restoring our soul, mm -hmm. restoring our lives, um, bringing us to healthy the healthiest state possible. Yeah. Ah. And, and it's their presence in the text, isn't it? Mm. Um, you have this idea, right, that the soul restoration leads you mm. to through the right paths mm -hmm. for his name's sake. Yeah. And it's it's really interesting the way the Hebraic mindset works. Um, your word for the day, your fancy and complicated word for the day is henotheism. And heno, H-E-N-O, theism, T-H-I-E-I-S-M, for those of you who said that we need sometimes to spell those out, that's how the, the Israelites view the world. And henotheism simply means that they believe in a multitude of gods, but their God reigns, reigns supreme. And so what is really fascinating here is that in the Hebraic mindset, Joey, all these gods are laying claims to the world mm. and claims to us. And there's this competition, this competition between all these gods trying to decipher whose name is more weighty. And God says, my name is weightier, not because I'm more powerful or I've got a stronger army at my back, but rather because I am guiding you mm. through these right paths. And so mm. our lives are the best testimony we can provide. The paths that we decide to tread upon are the best testimonies we can provide of who God is and how God loves us as a shepherd. So by following the right paths that God leads us on, it's a testimony to the character of who God is. And by living out who God is, right? Because what, what are God's paths, Joey? God's paths are this idea, and we talk about this word a lot, right? The, this path of empathy, yeah. the path of self-sacrifice, mm -hmm. the path of harmony, the path of unity, mm -hmm. the path of respect and the path of care. All of these paths that God is trying to guide us through are ultimately speaking about who God is. Yeah. I mean, that word there um, that's translated right, those words that are translated right path, there's almost like a dual meaning mm -hmm. there, right? One fits the metaphor of sheep. Right. So the right path is the sh it's ultimately going to be leading to the dwell to the house of the Lord. Right. It's the one that leads them to the place they need to go. It's the one that leads them to the place where they can thrive. They can have green pastures and still waters. Um, so it's it's the right path for them. But there's also almost a moralistic mm -hmm. aspect to this, that the right path is the path that leads us to become righteous people, mm -hmm. right people, people who exhibit the character of God. So there is that almost dual meaning to this, mm -hmm. this idea of the right path that we're led on. And what I find so interesting about this right path is that it's not always the easiest path or the safest path, right? Because this right path, at, at one point, it leads through the valley of the shadow of death. Um, so it leads through a dangerous place. We don't fear the danger because God is with us, but there is danger all around us. So there is this, there is this idea that the right path is not always the easy path. Mm. Have you found that to be the the case that the right path isn't always the the the, the easiest path? Absolutely, Joey. I think I think all of us at some point and our viewers at home at some point something has gone not according to plan. Mm. And we've had to reassess, right? You find yourself in the situation and you've done everything right. You've gone to church, you've gotten the degree that you were supposed to get, you married the person that you were supposed to marry. Um, and yet still, uh, something happened and your marriage kind of broke apart mm -hmm. or you ate healthy and you exercise and somehow you got sick or you invested time in your children and somehow when they grew older, there was a rupture within the family. This mm. happens to all of us. These moments of shadow of death happen to all of us. 
and it's difficult. The path of the formative path, mm -hmm. and this is after all what God is trying to push us towards, right? You were talking about the right path as the path by which we become righteous. Well, this formative path is going to have some moments that are difficult. Mm. Joey, I I know you went a couple, so it's probably fresher in your mind, you went a couple months ago to the Holy Land. Mm. And so while you're on your route uh, and on the way to Masada, and near the Dead Sea, you stop in the middle of nowhere um, and people look around and they're like, what, what are we doing here? There's, there's, not, there's no vineyards, not the beautiful mountains covered in green or the lush, the lush uh, olive trees. There's nothing. It's mm -hmm. barren, desolate country. Mm -hmm. And then you look and you start looking at the crevices uh, on these jagged peaks that are beside you. And your wonderful guide will at some point say, welcome to the valley of the shadow of death. Because tradition tells us that when David was in this place is when he came mm -hmm. to the realization of this idea of shepherding. It mm -hmm. is in that moment. Um, and if if you remember that place and how desolate and how buried and how arid it was, you also will remember that even in that barren, desolate wasteland, there's a monastery, mm. a beautiful monastery that offers some respite from the otherwise uh, just devastating landscape. And it strikes me that that's what shepherding does, not mm. only God's shepherding, but our shepherding that when we confront mm. these difficult moments in our lives, God is always present as a shepherd to provide a respite. And that if we are to develop and be formed into righteousness, then the invitation is for us to do the same as other people go through their Death Valley experiences. Oh, wow. I love that. So God is almost like a moving oasis that travels mm. with us, that gives us respite in the midst of... Because we do, I mean, we do grow the most when we are challenged, mm -hmm. right? Nobody grows when they're just at ease, comfortable. Nobody grows by sitting in front of a TV all day or in, in front of your device all day, eating popcorn and lying down. I mean, it sounds relaxing, but nobody <laughs> grows in that kind of context, right? We grow when we're challenged. And yet, if all we're getting is being challenged, then we start to get, we start to burn out, mm -hmm. right? So there is this beautiful rhythm of work and rest that God, that God stipulates from the very beginning in the weekly Sabbath, but also woven throughout scripture is this idea that God is our ref refuge. He is our strength. He is our source of respite. And that's what he seems to be providing here is that, yes, even in these difficult, challenging um, journeys, God is there to provide those moments of respite, of restoration. Um, you know, you, you talked about the 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 shadow of death, um, the valley of the shadow of death. Um, and I just remember, like you said, that is a very desolate area, mm -hmm. not just the valley. The valley itself is oppressive. It's, it's lower. It's, it's hot. It's, it's just not a nice place to be. You know, I'm, I'm wondering what are the sheep eating and drinking as they're traveling through this? I mean, it's not a good place, but even around where the sheep are pasturing, you don't really get this like flat, grassy knoll. I mean, no. when I picture the uh, this this passage, lie down in green pastures, I'm I'm thinking of like, you know, of of Scotland or mm -hmm. you know where you have these huge green pastures. I, I it's not what 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 the reality of David's life was in in the kingdom of Judah where he grew up in the area of the tribe of Judah where he grew up. It wasn't these rolling green hills, right? It was a very arid land. And yet God, Jesus, uh, he's saying that when you're with God, even though the land may be dry, your experience mm. with God is wet, that he is there to provide mm. for you. And I love that, that mm. oasis imagery. I love the way you put that. Even when, even when the land is dry, your experience is wet because you are with God. And that really alters our perception because he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And I didn't know what 
shepherds use the rod and the staff for i thought it was for protection of the sheep when when a predator comes or something and that is used for that but it's also to push and pull the sheep together and sometimes to correct the sheep and sometimes to stop the sheep and sometimes to get the sheep's attention and so the rod the rod and the staff are used in order to alert the sheep of the presence of the shepherd. And so I think what you're saying then is that if you are, if you wet your life with the experience of the spirit, then it's much easier to be attentive to how that spirit is moving and trying to work in your life. Yeah, I love that. That's, that's a great imagery of the shepherd going around and actually he, he's actively, that's mm -hmm. what's happening, right? He's actively engaged in guiding the sheep and keeping them together. Like you said, if the sheep may wander off and step off a cliff if the, mm -hmm. the shepherd is not active. And so actually, even though we don't necessarily think of correction as something that is, um, that is peace giving, but that actually is. It gives us confidence in the shepherd. If a shepherd is not paying attention to their sheep, if the if they're not actively using their implements to guide the sheep, then actually I'm worried more about that sheep, those sheep, than right. I am about an active shepherd. Right. And our shepherd is active. That's such a beautiful way of putting it. Our shepherd is active. And because our shepherd is active, you know that your home isn't the valley of the shadow of mm, death. Yes. There is this idea of motion and uh, David uses a lot of verbal cues mm. uh, because the language gets very active here in verse four. It says, mm. even though I walk through, um, and that's, I think, a, uh, even a, an interesting way of translating the Hebrew because it's just one verb after the other. It's this idea of a moving experience. Your home isn't the valley. You're moving through the valley. And so I think that also provides us comfort that regardless of how of the arid landscape that we might be finding ourselves in at this moment, that's not our home. We're not gonna stay in this place of sadness and loneliness and devastation. We're going to move through somehow. Yeah, that God is actively moving us mm -hmm. through it. I love that, that that's not our home. The, the valley of the shadow of death is not a permanent fixture in our lives. God is gonna lead us through it. And I love where he leads us, right? Mm. He leads us and you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my hair, my head with oil. My cup overflows. Mm. And you know the the language changes there to a, a second person language, mm -hmm. right? He's now addressing God directly here. God is not somebody he's talking about now. Now God is someone he's talking to, mm -hmm. and he's so grateful that God has let is leading him out of this experience, and he is he is presenting him with this with God as, as being his host mm, yeah. right and yet he's not completely out of the the valley of the shadow of death yet because the enemies are still there yeah. right yeah. that that moment of abundance that he's he's exemplifying here he's describing here happens in the presence of his enemies mm -hmm. that's a wonderful way of putting it um, and the lesson I think does a great job at saying that on our journey to the house of the Lord, following the shepherd, there's going to be these detours. Mm. And so they point out these two detours, right? The detour of the valley of the shadow of death and the detour of the table. So I went back and I was looking at the original for a bit, just mm. trying to figure out what is this text? Because it, at first glance, it does seem like you're shifting the context, right? You've come out of this valley and now you're, at, you're in a banquet hall. But I think you're absolutely right in noting that we're not out of the valley yet. Mm -hmm. um, and so the question then is, why does God decide to put a table <laughs> in the midst of the valley? And my original impulse was to was for me to th say that the table is there so that the enemies might see how blessed i am mm. so the enemies are there in the valley of the shadow of death and here i am separate from them eating 
in abundance with my head anointed in oil. Mm. But that's not what the Hebrew states. Mm. So the Hebrew actually states that the table is prepared in the presence of your enemies so that your enemies might eat with you <laughs> and that your enemies may no longer be your enemies. And I think mm. that's the transformative power of the valley of the shadow of death, that when you're in that experience, mm. you become not only completely dependent on the shepherd, but you also gain the capacity to shepherd others, sometimes people whom up to that point you have considered enemies. Wow. So that, that experience and even the people that have made th that our time challenging and difficult are actually reframed mm -hmm. to be an experience that brings restoration mm. and healing and growth and even the people become people that are not now not enemies but our friends mm -hmm. wow mm -hmm. and that's what god does for us and that's i think what god does for us even as we experience the valley mm -hmm. um we've we've talked about this a lot right you and i agree on the notion that god doesn't put you in the valley mm -hmm. god walks with you in the valley but god is such a marvelous God that he can use valley experiences in order to transform who you are. Mm. And I, I find that we talk, and we mentioned this a bit, we talk a lot about empathy. Mm. We really do, Joey. We talk a lot about empathy here because we believe that that is the priority mm. for the Christian life, the capacity to empathize with others. You can't empathize with people if you haven't lived in the valley. Hmm. It's impossible. <laughs> it's true, yeah. Unless you've had those, those suffering experiences, it's hard for us to understand where someone who is suffering is coming from. Hmm. Yeah, so that valley experience, experience changes us and maybe part of the reason why our enemies become our friends is because we change. Mm -hmm. It's not just changing our enemies but god is also as you brilliantly pointed out he's changing us yeah yeah and imagine what that means just practically hmm. um i've been asked a lot over the past two weeks uh, from people on both sides of the aisle what do you think about this new supreme court uh, ruling and we're very careful not to dip our toes too too deep into the political arena because it it does have a cost. Um, I am not just called to shepherd those who are pro-choice or pro-life. I am called to shepherd all of you. And so, in the interest of being the best shepherds we can, uh, we try to reserve our comments. But I I will say this one thing: enemies become friends when we empathize with them through the valley. Mm. And so rather than just retreat to whatever position you have, and that's completely up to you and we support your right to believe and to hold a position, I would actually invite people to try and live in these valley experiences that have pushed people to believe a certain way. Whether that is a child whose mother struggled a lot with maybe terminating that pregnancy and now the child was born born by the grace of God and he or she has done something incredible with their lives. Talk to that person if you're on the other side of the aisle or talk to the person that experienced something devastated, devastating when they were uh, very young and now have this unwanted pregnancy that is a reminder of the abuse and talk to them about what that means and how that feels. I think that's the only way where we can actually speak life into people's lives. It isn't by retreating to the positions that we like or that we're comfortable with, it's by actually engaging with people as they are walking in the valley that we can then say hey my table is big enough for people who are pro-choice and pro-life pro-gun control and pro-freedom uh, to carry uh, libertarians republicans democrats my table's big enough for everyone because i serve a god who is big enough for everyone hmm. 
And that just reminds me of, of the phrase that listening is not so that I can change you, mm. but so that I can change me, mm -hmm. right? We, if we're really listening to people, it's not with a goal of, okay, so how do I strategize and twist their words mm. so that I can convince them mm. to believe what I believe? Mm. If we're really listening, it's so that I can understand mm. someone's perspective to step into their shoes. And that, when you step into someone else's experience, that can't help but change us, mm. right? And so, so our, our, our goal with this listening process is so that we can understand someone else's perspective a little bit better. Yeah, because loving necessitates listening. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean when you're saying we listen that, they, that we may be changed, it doesn't mean that you're going to go talk to someone with whom you disagree so that these b values or beliefs that you have are going to be changed. Yeah. That's not what we're advocating. I don't think that's what you're saying. I, fact is, I know that's not what you're saying. What you're actually saying, Chogui, is that once I have the sacred task of actually holding the most valuable thing that a person has, which is their story. Once I invest myself in it, regardless if we finish this, listen, this sacred act of listening on the same page or not, I at least finish it viewing you as part of my table. Mm -hmm. You can have your beliefs and you can have your values and we wouldn't dare or dream to push or try to make people believe the same things that we believe. That's not our job. Our job is to simply say, let me listen to you. And at the end of this process, here's your seat at the table. Yeah, and it's not about, like you said, it's not about changing our beliefs or even changing our values. Although some of that may shift, who mm -hmm. knows? But it's really about listening so we can be more loving, mm. right? When we step into someone's shoes, they no longer become this number, this stereotype. Mm -hmm. They become an actual person, and that allows us to love someone better. Um, the values may stay the same, but uh, like we talked about two weeks ago when we discussed this, often people do the most wrong when they're right, mm -hmm. right? And how can we be right without inflicting and hurting people with our rightness? Mm. And I, I believe the best way to do that is to listen mm -hmm. because it allows us to love better. And that I think that is lived out in Jesus' earthly ministry. Yeah. You, Jesus always, always questioned the stereotypes in order to prioritize the story. Yeah. So there were all these stereotypes of women, for example, in the, uh, in the Eastern world. Jesus says, tell me your story. Mm -hmm. There were all these stereotypes about Samaritans. And then Jesus and Luke tells the story where a Samaritan is the hero. Mm -hmm. So Jesus always prioritized the story because Jesus understood that stories connect us with people. Mm -hmm. And shepherding is a relationally laden enterprise. Yes. It's not about doctrine, even though doctrine is important. It's not about theological positions, even though, even though those are important. It's not even about core beliefs and values, central as those might be to our existence. It's about the vulnerability that relationships require. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so our going through that sh valley of the shadow of death experience can actually help us to empathize better. Mm. If we approach it correctly, it can help us to learn how to love better. Mm. I, I also think that even when it doesn't involve people as much as an experience, right? Mm -hmm. Although a lot of our experiences involve people, but like a loss, right? Whether that's a loss of a loved one or a loss of a dream, loss of a job, Right When we grieve and we're going through those difficult experiences, it seems like what God is saying is that, or and what we've been talking about is God can even take those experiences and reframe them. Not so much that the experience itself, that what the cause of the experience is good, but that he can actually bring about good mm -hmm. from it, right? That it can be a growing experience for us. And that's exactly what God does for these sheep is he, 
he sets up the banquet table and reframes this dangerous place into a haven mm -hmm. of growth because, and I love this, it seems like this is the central premise of this passage, because God is with us, mm. right? Mm. And that really, I mean, we've, you've been leading us in a series, we just started a series on the sanctuary, but central to that sanctuary message is this idea of God's presence with us, mm. that God is with us, and that seems to make all the difference and changes the valley of the shadow of death into uh, a party, a banquet mm. where, where wow. we're celebrating, which wow. is incredible. The only way that happens, though, is through God's grace. Mm. Um, the pathway from grief to growth mm. is always one that is full and mm. pregnant with grace. And that's, I think, why he starts bringing this psalm to a close. He says, surely your goodness and love will follow me. Mm. This is, I, I love the NIV usually. I hate the way this tr verse is translated mm. because that's not what the original, the language in the original is much more forceful, mm. right? He's saying, make no mistake about this. I am... 100% sure that God's grace will chase me <laughs> wherever I go. <laughs> that is incredible because what he's saying is it doesn't matter if the loss is a loss of a dream like you're talking about or the actual loss of a job or a person or maybe it's the, it actually has to do with real enemies, real people in your life. It, none of that matters. There is no relationship. There is no loss. There is no experience where God's grace can't chase you to. Mm, yeah. And I, I, yeah, as you pointed out, that imagery, the wording there is so active, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's often even used of enemies chasing. Mm -hmm. It's usually our enemies who are chasing you, who are pursuing you. And I, I mean, I've never really had enemies pursue <laughs> me before, but I do remember playing tag, right? And there comes a time when you're like, when you're being chased by your enemy yeah. who's trying to tag you, and you're like at the last breath, and you can't go any longer, and he finally tags you. This, that's the image you're yeah. here except the thing that's chasing us is goodness and this loving kindness mm. this this beautiful word of of that encapsulates god's covenant love mm -hmm. to us that love that never stops that never lets go which is why i think it's gk chesterson that j describes god as the hound of heaven yeah. right yeah right once he gets the scent he never gives up mm. he's gonna hound us with goodness and love till the very end. Mm. And so that I think is is grace ultimately. Yeah. That's the only way where death valleys get transformed into banquet halls, mm. where enemies become friends, where you can have a table big enough to have people from different differing viewpoints and still embrace in sisterhood or brotherhood that is the mm -hmm. only way in which a loss can be seen as an opportunity for reframing or mm -hmm. where grief can be transformed into growth it is only by this relentless grace and this relentless grace doesn't just stop with the promise of green pastures mm -hmm. or still waters this relentless grace then pushes us, right? It says that once we're chased the, for all our life, then the promise is that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And this language, right, of God's home, God, this place that is full of God's presence is God's ultimate destiny for us. I want to be in God's presence, mm. um, but I need, I, in order to do that, I need to allow myself to be shepherded by him. Yeah. To open us ourselves up to his leading, his mm -hmm. guidance, his rod and staff, mm -hmm. right? His presence, even in difficult times. I love your emphasis on presence because you know, when it talks about the house of the Lord forever, we could think of it, oh, that's going to happen when we get to heaven, mm -hmm. right? But 
I think what you're bringing out really beautifully in in the sanctuary um, that in the series sanctified series that that we're in right now is this idea that the sanctuary is not about a sanctuary in heaven but we are also God's sanctuary right that means that the sanctuary is actually wherever God is dwelling wherever God is which means God can be with us now we are can currently be in the house of the Lord. Mm -hmm. This is not um, this is not just in the future, but also in the present that we can be dwelling even in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death. We can have we can be in the dwelling place of God forever because God's presence can be with us even now. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. And that's the ultimate paradox, right? Yeah. That valleys can be heaven and that God can be in the powerful theophanies or in the silent whispers, that God is just one prayer away. It's just recognizing, recognizing that God has never left. Mm -hmm. And so I, I just, I love that. I love, I love that emphasis, Joey, that, you, that you're closing with. And so I think that that's a perfect way for us to close today mm -hmm. as you pray and you bring us in for this brief, brief amount of time into the house of the Lord. Let's pray. Our good and gracious God, we want to thank you for being a God who, is, who has worked so hard to be with us. Because your presence makes all the difference. Your presence transforms deserts into oases and dry wadis to uh, rolling rivers. And um, our dry, most devastating experiences into experiences of hope. You transform our grief into growth. So we ask that you help us to be open to your presence today to allow you to be with us. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And so even if today, as you turned on your television, as you opened your laptop, as you're watching us, even if today you feel like you're dwelling in a shadowy valley, rejoice. Rejoice for today. Today, we are in the house of the Lord. We'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.